we get ready for the word of God, I want you to first tell me, do you have your sermon guide? Do you have your handout? If you don't have one, raise your hand at this time so that you can uh, receive one. Uh, Just keep your hands up as our ushers uh, come your way. Uh, Just as a reminder, you know by now that on uh, July the 9th, when did I say everybody? July 9th, we're going into 40 days, 40, 40 days of prayer and preparation for our 40 for family evangelistic meeting that will begin on August the 17th. So from July 9th to August the 17th, we are going to be praying three times a day. Praying hard that God will move all up in this place. Just on Sabbaths and Wednesdays will we have our meetings when we start in August. That's all it will take for the Holy Ghost this time. Just need Wednesday night and just need Sabbath. You need to know at this point that if you do not attend Wednesday night as a habit, then you will not even taste a tip of the iceberg as to what will consider yourselves not even involved in the 40 for family. You will only get 50% of what is going on. We are, we are bulking up on Wednesday night in the month of August for these teachings, as well as Sabbath. So there will be no makeup days during the week when we'll be able to do that. If some of you have work schedules, we do understand that, and other obligations. But for those of you that can, Uh, You need to find yourself here. But as we prepare 40 days of prayer, I believe that will set set the house in order. As we go into prayer first, that will set us right and our priorities will be in line because most of you by now will admit that you need help in your family. Most of you know by now you need help in your family. Yep, so we're going there. And we're go- I mean, we're going there. Every- I mean, I got the surveys back. We're going there. Addiction, sex, emotional issues, generational cycles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. And then, of course, the last week of it all, we're going to have a special emphasis on sexual healing. Man, what did Jesus do? Let's look at our text for the day. First, somebody asked me a question. I felt like it was necessary for me to address it this morning. I said, Pastor, I'm confused. This is regard to last week. I said, Pastor, I'm confused about what the scripture says regarding seeing God. You remember we talked about that last week. Moses, Moses said... Show me your glory. Lord said, you can't see my face. Did he not? But then, in the Numbers, the 12th chapter, the Bible says, concerning Moses, that he saw the face of God. said, listen, don't even fool with Moses. Why? Because he sees me face to face. And so, 
They say, I'm confused about this passage. It seems like an apparent contradiction. Jesus said in John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. Does not the Bible say that? The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. In Exodus 33, Moses was told he could not see God's face and live. Didn't the Bible say that? But in Numbers 12, 6 through 8, God then said, he spoke to Moses face to face. In number 14, 14, Moses says to God that he has seen God face to face by his people. Can you help me understand these passages, Pastor Edmonds? On one thing it says you can't see God. The next minute it says that he's seen the face of God. Explain that. Then, and then what was deep last week was that Moses was like, God told him, yo, you can't see my face. Then Moses asked again, he says, show me your glory as if as if he wasn't satisfied with just seeing God's back. Y'all remember that? The Bible says you can only see my back, brother. <laughs> he said, you can't handle this. Moses got greedy because he wanted more. We talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He didn't want to settle for that revelation. He wanted another revelation. Some of you missed that. Some of you have settled for one revelation of God. And God is anxious to, he's anxious to reveal more of himself. Somebody say more. more. So what is the answer? Well, in our sinful state, we cannot look at God and live. Right. Now, follow me. So God reveals to us a manifestation. Somebody say a manifestation. Of his presence based on our humanity and our hunger. So this is what happened. The truth of the matter is, you cannot see the literal divine entity of God and live. You're too sinful. So was Moses. So how did Moses survive when the Bible says that God, God himself says, he sees my face. Here's the explanation for this. God revealed to Moses a manifestation of his face and not necessarily his face. In, in, in Bible, in, in, you gotta, let me break this down for you. In the Bible, there is what is called a theophany. Somebody say a theophany. A theophany is when God condescends himself and gives us a revelation of him that we can handle. Now, this is, what's, this is what blows my mind about this. Moses, now, this, now you got to get this. Moses was so hungry. Somebody say hungry. Whoo, he was so hungry for more of God that he was willing to die just to see more of him. God told him, you'll die if you see me. He was like, I don't care. Show me more. And here's the point that we need to be reminded of just by way of review. If you ain't that hungry, you're not hungry. Well, you're going to put your life on the line because you want more of him. You want more of him. You want more revelation. Some of us are stuck. Only thing we repeat is the same little hobby horses. We got the same little theology we had 5, 10, 15 years ago. We know the same scriptures. We ain't memorized no new scripture. We don't know no new doctrine, no new understanding of God. We're just comfortable being Adventists. We're comfortable being whatever we are. We're comfortable just showing up to church. We're comfortable just with the Sabbath school lesson. I don't know about you this morning, but I want more. More. Give me as much as I can stand. This is the message of being hungry for righteousness. Somebody bless the Lord by saying amen. amen. 
Now today, let's go to it. Let's read. The Bible says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And what did he say, everybody? He said, blessed, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says, blessed are those who do what? Mourn, for they will be what? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who do what, everybody? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And today, we make a transition. We make a shift now. This is Beatitude number five. The Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Read that one more time. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Beatitudes part five, the, entitle, the, the title of our message today is In My Shoes. In My Shoes. Give you the warning on the front end. You cannot receive this message if while you're listening, you're applying the word of God to anyone but yourself. Oh, by the way, you also cannot receive this message if you're asleep. Now, I believe that the word of God is powerful. You know, the Bible says able to cut even <laughs> soul and spirit. But you know, brothers and sisters, man, when you're just flat out sleeping on the word, <laughs> I don't know what to do for you. You know, some of you feel like it's going to get in your subconscious. Amen. Just glad you're in the house. Get, your, get, get yourself up. <laughs> Say, this is about me today. Say, this is about me. Say, speak to me, Lord. Now, let's break this down. Here's the transition that we're talking about. So far, we've been talking about Beatitudes that, let me come down, let me come down, let me, let me come close to you. Uh, we've been talking about Beatitudes, 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 talking about Beatitudes, talking about Beatitudes, talking about an attitude. We're talking about an attitude. The Beatitudes really describe how a real Christian thinks. Now, what blows my mind about the Beatitudes is, all my life, I thought that the checklist for being spiritual was keep the Sabbath, don't steal, don't lie, don't have any other gods before me, uh, uh, look, look, look decent, don't look, don't look dirty, walk softly in the sanctuary, be nice to people, you know, love, love those who love you, uh, you know, raise good-looking kids, uh, do all this kind of stuff, eat right, blah, 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 blah. Guess what? You can do all that external stuff and go to hell in a handbasket. Come on, say amen, somebody. So notice now, the Beatitudes are particularly, let's, let's, let's have a quiz this morning. The Beatitudes are dealing with what? Our what? Our what? I'm giving you a hint. That's why I'm tapping my head. Our dealing with our what? Our minds. The first four deal with our thinking. Now, this is interesting. Uh, the point is, you cannot do right things unless you think right thoughts. Now, this is interesting for us because I grew up in a church where they told you, clean up the outside first and don't even give consideration to the inside. Look right, dress right, eat right. Are you hearing me now? We are not dismissing the value of these things, but know this. It is a futile, it is, it is foolishness to try to be good when you don't think good. And how many know you can't control, control your thoughts? You cannot control your thoughts. He controls your thoughts. Oh, you missed what I said in here today. 
The problem with some of us is you're too busy trying to control your life. You're too used to being God. You don't even know what it's like to have God be God. And the minute God starts trying to be God in your life, you get nervous because you ain't no longer in control. I don't know about you. I'm honest enough to admit right now, if he ain't controlling my thoughts, Lord have mercy. He got to be in my mind. Oh, I don't know about you today. If he, he got to control my mind. That's why the Bible said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do I have one person in here today that understands what I'm talking about? That if, y'all don't, if I don't have him in my mind. And so Jesus is strategic. He, he first starts by saying, you got to be poor in spirit. That's an attitude. He then says, look at the screen, that you've got to mourn. That's an attitude. He says, you've got to be meek. That's an attitude. He said, you've got to be hungry for righteousness. That's an attitude. Now notice the first four, this sounds a whole lot like the law of God. The first four, the focus is toward who? What does the screen say? What does your handout say? Toward who? Toward, they're about our relationship to God. It's vertical. Somebody say it's vertical. Vertical, vertical, vertical. It's going up, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up. This is why the Bible says, he that says that he loves God... But does not love his neighbor is a liar. And this is what I've come to do today. I have come in the name of the Lord to tear down false righteousness. You cannot call yourself a Christian if you do not possess the mind of Christ that works itself in treating people with love and kindness no matter how they treat you. That's Jesus. That's Christianity. That's Adventism. It's, it's getting to a place where you're just like Jesus. Now notice this. The last four Beatitudes, we will not get into all of them today, we'll look at the first one. It deals with our attitude toward who, everybody? Read the screen or your handout. Toward who, everybody? Toward, toward who, everybody? Toward man. This is horizontal. Somebody say vertical, then horizontal. Somebody say vertical, say horizontal. I don't know about you, that makes a cross. The cross of Christ is about a vertical relationship with God that works itself out in a horizontal relationship with people. And so the first thing he says now, uh, know know this, that the first four uh, is God's way of recalibrating our thinking. The last four is God's way of showing us the destination. Someone say destination. This is the destination of a real Christian. Now, let me point something out to you. This is why a person does not have to be a Seventh-day Adventist, or whatever your belief system is, a Baptist, whatever denomination is, whatever it is. They don't have to be that in order to be a genuine Christian. And somebody just said, oh, pastor, you, man, you just, you just done cut your, you know, like, stop saying that, pastor, because people ain't going to be Adventists. Hey, check this. The truth speaks for itself. I, my job is to teach the word of God. People will follow truth when they hear it. His sheep will hear his voice and they will follow. But I, I, I refuse to stand up here and manipulate the minds of God's people and make them think that unless you are this or that, that you are not a Christian. That is prejudice. 
That is bigotry. There's some good Christian folk. They don't even, they don't even go. They, they, oh Lord, hey man, they don't hardly even go to church. Because they're living up to what? And we're not making it. This is some of you. Oh, Pastor, oh my goodness. They're not going to go to church now that you said that. Look, when people are in love with Jesus, you don't have to make disclaimers. Because those that are hungry for righteousness, they are filled. They will seek God. They will study his word. They will worship him. But you need to know that Christianity is based on these eight principles. You're going to have the mind of Christ and you must live that life in such a way that people know that you love them. I was reading from Spirit of Prophecy this week and she says mere indoctrination alone will not do in the realm of salvation. People must get to a point where they learn how to love one another. Look at the word. Listen. This spirit in God's church. I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing. This spirit in God's church I don't hang with them folk. They're not eating at my house. We have this thing we started called spiritual families. All we're doing, Tammy, is just trying to get folk to eat together. We started off with how many? 29. How many we got now? Probably about 14. Blessed are the merciful. If you don't eat together down here, you will not sit at the welcome table. Here's some text of scripture to clarify mercy. Let me move on. Before I I go down the road of no return. Look at the text. Exodus 34. These are texts about mercy. I'll give you much scripture today. Still a little here, a little hum. Then Moses said, now show me your what? What does that mean? In other words, God, show me who you are. Watch this. Together reading. And the Lord said, I will cause all my what? To pass in front of And I will proclaim my name the Lord in your presence. So watch this. Moses says, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I will show you who I am by proclaiming my name. And watch this. He, and so he declares his name. What is his name? I will have mercy on whom I will have what? Who is God? God says, I am mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Oh, thank God. Oh, man, y'all ain't, y'all ain't feeling this thing today. God says, he says, who are you? He says, I'm merciful. (laughs) Who are you? I'm compassionate. Anybody, can I get one witness in here that knows that to be true? And he says, for the Lord, the Lord's talking about himself. (laughs) He says, for the Lord God is gracious and merciful. Second Chronicles 30, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. And, And watch this now, which defining mercy and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Mercy is when God 
has every reason to turn his face and he doesn't. Woo! It's going to get clear in a minute. Psalms 41, verse 4. Together, I said, Lord, be what? Uh, what is it? What do you mean? Heal my what? For I have done what? So mercy must be seen in the context of sin. Adam and Eve did not require that revelation of God before sin because there was no need for God to turn his face. Mercy is for sinners. And so, 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 so he connects mercy uh, with the healing of a soul and sin against him. Uh, Psalms 89, read. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord for how long? With my Hold on, hold on, hold on. Y'all, I'm going to stay right there. This is where everybody says, I praise the Lord in my heart. Study the Bible. I ain't saying you can't do that, but it ought to work itself to your mouth. And I'm not saying you ought to praise him like I do, or like Claire, or like uh, you know, or, or Chris, or whoever. I'm not telling you that. I'm just reading the Bible with my mouth. I will make known your what? Faithfulness to how many generations, everybody? To all generations. For I have said, read, mercy shall be built up for how long? Your faith. Watch that now. So mercy now is being connected with faithfulness. You shall establish in the very heavens. Stay with me. Verse 30. If his sons forsake my law, talking about David, and do not follow my statutes. Now listen to this. He says, look, if they, if they diss me, he says, if they violate my decrees, I'm talking about mercy. Somebody say mercy. Woo, this is my, listen, y'all, this is my favorite topic to talk about in the world. He says, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commandments, he says, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. But, he got a weakness for mercy. <laughs> yes, he does. He says, but, somebody say, but, I will not take, I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my what? What's the statement? I will not violate my covenant. If they jack up, if they blow it, if they fail in advance, I'm declaring that I will be faithful to them. We're getting clear on this. Or, watch this, he says, or alter what my lips have uttered. In other words, when I make a promise that I will love you when I make a promise that I will be with you when I make a promise that I will that I will love you and be kind to you I, even though you act ugly even though you do ugly things even though you say ugly things even though you make a mess of your life even though you commit the same sin over and over and over again he says I will not alter that which came out of my mouth I will not I am the Lord I was talking to my kids the other day and we were having worship, and I said to them, uh, we were having worship. Throwing that out there. And I said to my kids, I said, uh, if you do bad things, does God still love you? They know that much. Yes. They said yes. I said, if you do bad things, does God still like you? They said no. 
I said, oh, there's a teaching moment there. I said, oh, hold on. I said, hold on now. What we just read is, his, his thoughts toward us do not change. And some of us don't like to hear this. No matter how ugly we act. That's one of the reasons why folk don't come to church. Because they think God is mad at them. Like one songwriter said, God ain't mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And look what he says. He says, and I will not lie to David. Ooh. Talking about, talking about a murdering adulterer. I won't lie to him. He says, if I say, Psalms 94, 18, if I say my foot slips, no words, I've got myself into something. Your mercy, O oh Lord, will hold me up. Just some scripture. Psalm 17, 117, 1 says, read y'all. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you peoples, for his Mm. Hold on now. Hold, hold on, hold on. Mm. Forgive me. This is just my, let me a praise break for a minute. Woo! I love that word, merciful kindness. His merciful kindness is great toward, this is why we praise God. And the truth of the Lord endures for how long, everybody? And so, thus we should do what? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Why do we praise God? Because he's merciful. And his merciful kindness is great toward us. You'll discover if you read the Psalms, over 42 times, this statement is used. For the, uh, uh, praise ye the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Even hell itself is an act of God's mercy. You know why? Because the worst thing that you would want, if you are a sinner that has not given your life to God, is to go to heaven. That would be torture for you. So God says, I'm going to have mercy on you and send you where you need to go. <laughs> Micah 6. Now, now, hear this, saints. Everybody's got their list of what, this is what a good person does. This is what a righteous person is. This is what somebody is holy in. Here's, this is somebody who's going to be ready to be in 144,000. These are the people who are ready last day. Read the Bible. The Bible says, he has shown you, old man, what is good. All right. What does the Lord require of you? But what? To do justly and to do what? And to do what? Walk humbly with your life. That's it. Titus 3, 5. Can I read the word today? For we ourselves were once also foolish. Give me three daps on that. Come on. Mm. Foolish. And what else? Uh, Disobedient. (laughs) Come on, somebody. What else? Deceived. Amen. Come on. I'm not getting no help in here. Somebody just think back for a minute. Two, two, two days ago. Amen. Uh, uh, serving various lusts and pleasures. Thank you, Titus, for reminding me. Living in malice and envy. Hateful. And hating one another. But when the kindness and the mercy Lord, and, the, and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us how did he pour it out y'all how did he pour it out y'all through Jesus Christ our Lord 
Luke 6.36, talking about mercy now. Be merciful as your father. Oh. Listen to what I just said to you. The Bible just, everybody listen. The Bible just told you that you ought to treat everybody. Now, 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 now watch this. This is where everybody's righteousness is about to crumble. God says, treat everybody. There's a ring in my microphone. He says, treat everybody the way I treat you. Can you do that? Can you pull that off? No! Only way you can do that is if you're full of God. Come on in here, somebody. Do you see the standard that God has put on us? If he just said, be a Sabbath keeper, then, then, then everybody in this room go to heaven. As you understand it. But guess what? You cannot keep the Sabbath and be mean to people. You're a Sabbath breaker. Can't do it. You cannot gossip about people and you cannot tear people down. You cannot talk about people. You cannot talk about them. You cannot look down on people. You cannot be critical of people. You cannot be analytical of people. You cannot do that and be a Sabbath. You cannot do it. Bible says if you break one commandment, you've broken them all. This is why the Bible says, all have sinned. Now let's look at EGW. The heart of man is by what? Cold and dark. Ooh. And by nature, listen, by nature, you are not a loving person. I've heard some of us say that. Well, I'm just, by nature, I'm just loving. <laughs> not. You're not. Whenever one manifests a spirit of mercy and forgiveness, he does it not of himself, but through, through God. Amen? Now let's look at the context here. The context of Christ's words. Matthew 12, 7. Turn to your Bibles. I didn't put this on the screen because you need to see this. Turn to Matthew 12, 7. This is one of the reasons why Jesus had to tell these people at this time, blessed are the merciful. Matthew 12 and 7. Now, Jesus was teaching at a time when the standard of righteousness was how good you looked. F to be a Pharisee was the standard of holiness. Now Matthew 12 and verse 7 says this. If you had known what these words mean, talking to the church, I desire what everybody Mercy and not what? You would not have condemned the innocent. 
They were arguing with Jesus about Sabbath keeping. Jesus, your disciples are not keeping the Sabbath. Why? Because they picked a piece of grain. And this is what the Lord says. He says, all right, you don't touch grain. You don't do this. You, you may not go out to eat on Sabbath or whatever you feel like is wrong. He said, but you're mean to people. And notice how he flips it. He says, what I really desire is mercy and not sacrifice. Now I'll turn to Matthew 23, 1 through 23. Just setting the context here. Let's move quickly. If you're getting it, say I'm getting it. Matthew 23 and verse 1. Now this is the word that God gave to the disciples. And the crowds about the church at that time. The teachers, it says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in, whose seat, everybody? He says, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But, but watch this now, but stay focused, y'all. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Are you, are you, are you here? Okay. What verse? Now watch this. Everything they do is done for men to see. <laughs> I, and I'm with you. I've been doing it too. Come on in here. And what do they do? They make phylacteries. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. It's about how they dress. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have them have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have only one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father. He is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher for you have one teacher, the Christ. Now watch this. The greatest among you will be your what? For whoever exalts himself will be what? And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now look at verse 13. Woe to you teachers of the law. Or woe to you church people. And Pharisees. You hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter. Nor will you let those enter. Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. I came to put my, my, my foot on the neck of traditional church today. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he come, becomes one of you, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? 
You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater? Jesus is preaching, y'all. The gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. You tithe. Mint, dill, and cumin but you have neglected. Here it is. But you have neglected. What have they done, everybody? But you have neglected. Lord, help us, Jesus. Help us to see the truth today. But you have neglected the more, the more important or weightier matters of the law. What are they? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out of a gnat but swallow a camel. You cannot be a follower of Christ if you are not actively pursuing the life of Christ. And the life of Christ was about lifting people up, not pulling them down. Sing in the choir. Be the preacher. Be the worship leader. Be, be whatever you want. Community services leader. Be a deacon. Be an elder. But if you do not seek to lift the heavy burdens that are on people's lives, whether they're your enemy or whether they're your friend or whether you don't even know them, if you are not seeking to lift up people, then God calls you a blind hypocrite. This is the state of the church that we are in. People will have a hissy fit over a style of music. They will have a hissy fit on whether a, a red book is read. They will have a hissy fit on whether somebody is, is bedecked in jewelry. But nobody is losing sleep over people out of this community that are dying in sin. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I need somebody to help me out in here today. It's not enough, Edmonds, that your daddy is a preacher. It's not enough, Edmonds, that your mother works for the church. It's not enough that you're fourth generation Adventist. It's not enough that you believe in the health message. It's not enough that you believe in the second coming of Christ. He says, what are you doing for the least of these? What are you, how are you treating your enemies? You know how spiritual you are based on how you treat your enemy. The Greek word for mercy is a liman. It means to help the wretched. Isn't that what God did to us? Now the Hebrew word, oh, you got to get this. The Hebrew word for mercy is it's the real, it's the word. It means, it's the word hesed. Every time the Bible uses the word love or mercy or steadfast or merciful kindness, there's only one word that is used. As a matter of fact, 
to, to actually take the Greek, the Hebrew word for mercy, which is hesed, it takes, it takes absolutely 26 English words to try to adequately define it. Because hesed is, the, is, is in fact the character of God. So when God says be merciful, God is saying be like me. And you know what, you know what hesed means? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to, oh, Lord have mercy. Lord, help me sit down here before I lose my mind. Woo! The word mercy literally means covenant faithfulness. Listen to this, y'all. When we talk about the mercy of God, we are talking about God's faithfulness. Now, some of us have tried to describe it this way. We'll say, well, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. That's all fine and dandy, but this is what it really means. If my brother here keeps smacking me in my face, spitting on me, harming my family, talking about me like a dog, doing everything imaginable to hurt me and tear me down, lying on me, maligning my name, whatever he does, this is what mercy does. Mercy keeps loving on him. But mercy doesn't just, I say, I love him and I forgive him. Mercy looks for ways to bless him. I go looking for his kids and bless his kids. I, I go looking for his mama and I'm blessing his mama. Uh, mercy, keep, mercy does not tear him down. Mercy does not talk about him. Mercy is faithful to him even though he's unfaithful to me. I'm going to be honest with you. I will cry before this sermon is over because every time I hear the word mercy, I get chills all over my body. Because God has kept his word to me. Even when I have broke, even when I, even though I am a living, broken commitment to him. Here's the explanation. God's covenant, you know what covenant is? Like I tell you all the time, some people's marriages are a covenant and some people's marriages are a contract. Contract says, you do this and I do this. You do this and I do this. Sign at the dotted line. If any one of us breaks this commitment, it's over. Some of y'all know about that. When you got that car repossessed, come on, say amen. <laughs> when foreclosure came in the mail, amen? Contract. Well, this is what covenant faithfulness is. You ain't paid no mortgage. This is what covenant is. You paid no mortgage. You ain't paid one payment on the car. And the owner says, you can have it. I overlook it. Because it's not about your commitment to me. See, a covenant is only broken when the person who decides the, the terms of the relationship in the first place dies. And guess what? God ain't dying. And when he did die, his father still lived in the Holy Spirit. And just for the split second that he died, he got back up. A covenant will never be terminated because a covenant is based on eternity. In other words, God's saying, I'm merciful to you, not because you're good, not because you're clean, not because you're without sin. He says, I'm merciful to you because that's who I am. I'm mercy. I'm grace. I'm faithful. I'm consistent. I don't give up on sinners. I don't turn my back on people. No matter what they've done, no matter no matter what they got themselves in, no matter what they're doing, no matter what they're doing, I am still here. Yeah. 
It is the biblical description of God. Don't throw that word around flippantly. Mercy is his name. And it is the only, oh, if you are not giving 100% to God, it is because you don't know who he is. Listen, watch this now. God reveals himself. He does what? He shows you a side of himself. And the side that he shows to you, surely, now listen, how many know? Nobody really has ever been punished for their sins. <laughs> and don't you even declare that lie. You know how sometimes somebody will die and, and you know, they seem like they lived a horrible life and they got what was coming to them. You fool. So what about you? Why are you still living? Because you're good? No. Every, listen, everybody living right now is not living because God just feels like you're the apple of his eye and he just needs you to finish the work and there are just so many people he wants you to bless. Myron, I made you the pastor of Glenville because people just really need to hear you preaching. Boy, you're preaching this all the eye of the eye. Ah, shut up. Only reason I'm up in here right now because he's merciful. Only reason I got a mic in my hand right now is because his mercy endureth forever. The only reason I got something to say with my raunchy self is because he had mercy. The only reason why you got any testimony, the only reason why you got any goodness, the only reason why you've got any good days is because his mercy is enduring forever and ever and ever. I am here because of his mercy. You have to beg people to serve the Lord? No. If they will not respond to mercy, then they will respond to nothing. If you will not respond to God's faithfulness in your life, you ain't going to respond to anything. In other words, God is saying, look, this is the only thing I got to encourage you to follow me. If you can't respond to this, nothing will move you. And that's why my favorite hymn is, Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Lord, my Father. And I love the verse that says, pardon for sin and the peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to God. Listen, man, the only reason why we got anything is because he's faithful. Listen, saints, and you know I will preach this until I die. This, this, listen, that the spirit of anyone that thinks for a split second that you are better, you're lost. You're in a lost condition. The Bible said, woe, Jesus said to them, woe is you. You are blind. You can't see yourself. How many, listen, let's just rejoice in our wretchedness for a minute. Because guess what? Wretched folk are the kind of folk God trying to help. Because they're honest enough to admit, I am, in, I am poor in spirit. I am more, I'm broken. I need the Lord. Look at Romans says, he said, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's what? He said, this is all I got, man. This is the only thing I can use to encourage you to serve me. He says, in view of God's what, everybody? 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The overall idea of mercy is that the one and only true God, oh, hallelujah, keeps his promise of love to the unlovable. He is faithful in the face of our constant failure and miserable wretchedness. Now here go to Edmund's version of the Bible. Blessed, happy, and godlike are those who reciprocate the love and kindness of God faithfully to those who are just like me. Wretched, <laughs> miserable, and messed up. What will happen? They will obtain more mercy. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are... Oh, Lord. If we are faithless, he remains. <laughs> now, 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 I wasn't shouting on that part. I'm shouting on the last part. Because he cannot disown. <laughs> you know what he's saying? Thanks. He says, if we are unfaithful to God, he stays faithful. Why? It's not in his deal. It's impossible for him to disown himself. He ain't talking about him. He's saying he sees you as himself. And that's why it's so nonsensical when a, when a, when a parent will deny their own children. It's not, it, you have to go against your nature. James 1.17 Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from where? Coming down from the Father of the heavenly life. Who does not Let's just praise him that he don't change. <laughs> now let me show you this here. The merciful, those of us who, how many want to be merciful? Are partakers of the divine nature. And in them, the compassionate love of God finds what? All those, all whose rather, hearts are in sympathy, in sympathy with the heart of infinite love, will seek to reclaim and not condemn. That's why Glenville, the spirit of Glenville ought to be a spirit of reclaiming. And, and listen, a spirit of reclaiming doesn't just mean we sit around and say, oh, we just, I just, we're praying for so-and-so to come back. You know, we're just hoping they'll come back. The spirit of reclaiming gets up off their behind, breaks their busy schedule, and goes out and gets the lost. You, you get up off your your, your raunchy behind and you go out. Why is it so quiet in here? Christ, 
Christ dwelling in the soul is a spring that never runs dry. Where he abides, there will be an overflowing of beneficence, in other words, of love. Let me, let me just throw this out here. I'm going to tell you this in a couple of weeks when we talk about blessed are the peacemakers. You are expected by Jesus to love those that stomp on your head. The same way that he loved you when you stomped on his head. And then I hear folks say, I ain't Jesus. Where you're going to hell. If you are not like Jesus, come on in here somebody. (laughs) To the appeal of the erring, the tempted, the wretched victims of want and sin, the Christian does not ask this question. Oh, that was almost a nice catch. A Christian does not ask this question. Are they worthy? How can I benefit them? In the most wretched, somebody say wretched, the most debased, he, talking about Jesus, sees, sees souls whom Christ died to save and for whom God has given to his children the ministry of reconciliation. Look, 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 look. Can I, t- can I be honest? Now, Glenville gets hit up on a regular basis. We'll probably get hit up today. But some, most of the time, it's a brother off the street who drives up in here in a car. And drive in a car. Drive, hear me now. They drive up in a car. Dressed nicely. And they give me a story that they gave me three weeks ago that they forgot that they told me about a paraplegic daughter and blah, 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 blah. And they just need a little something to get down to Canton. Listen, li- now listen now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're in the hood, you're going to have that. Uh, the question for us today is, how does mercy respond to this person? Does it mean you always give them money? At least, you don't, you're not mean to them even though you know they're coming to use you. Second Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all what? Who does what? Comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort we ourselves receive from the Lord. Mercy is a beautiful word when you're getting it. But I, I could go on something right now and have everybody rolling all over and talk about his mercy endures forever and God has been merciful to you. He didn't kept you. He's been, he's been kind. He's comforted you and everybody ah. The same way you get excited about what God does for you, you ought to be that much excited about him doing that for your enemy. Three positions of the merciful, and we'll close. Number one, two, actually, it should be two. It should be two. Two positions of the merciful. Number one, the merciful recognize those who messed up. So how do I demonstrate mercy? You first got to learn how to treat people who have messed up to you. 
And the Bible says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, now this is, listen y'all, it says forgive and you will be forgiven. Watch this now. God will hold every sin that you've ever committed against you when you refuse to forgive other people. You know why? It just don't make no sense. God is like, I forgave you of all of this mess. And they're that bad? I mean, they're just the worst person in the world. Why? Because they offended you. Who are you? Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And when you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. Woo. Number two. We are to forgive, we are to be merciful to those who are miserable. So there are two principles we have here for mercy. Forgiveness and compassion. How many of you have received both of those from the Lord? Now I end with this. Luke 10. It's our last scripture. Oh, actually I have it on the screen. Look. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher. (laughs) Teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) Trying to trip Jesus up, you know. (laughs) Lord responds and says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? (laughs) He answered, love the Lord your God. He's quoting verbatim now. (laughs) He's showing Jesus, yo, look, Jesus, you got the wrong one here. (laughs) I'm deep, man. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And by the way, Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied. He says, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So Jesus, so, so he asked Jesus, uh, I'm not done. <laughs> Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. By the way, you should know that the trip from Jerusalem to Jericho was traveled regularly by about three to 4,000 priests and Levites. Now, remember I said that. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest! happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. (laughs) Oh, listen, y'all. The preacher had somewhere to go. (laughs) Come on, come on now. Go easy on the brother. He had just come from a long... Look, the Bible said he went from Jerusalem to Jericho. He had... You know where he came from? He just came from church. He just got finished preaching his head off. He's walking about and don't have, it's dangerous, don't have time. 
<laughs> when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So he didn't even, he didn't even get near, 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 near the guy. But, oh, I'm sorry. So to a Levite, another preacher. Well, the priests were really the preachers. The Levites were like lay people. So here's a church officer. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. What a Samaritan. Yo, at Katrina, you know when Katrina in New Orleans? I saw a video, right? And they were talking about the people that were out helping. You know people who were out there helping a lot of people? Convicts. <laughs> Drug dealers. While the government flew over. You know in the civil rights movement? Y'all remember this, right? The churches were not involved. Martin, listen, Martin Luther King, the church folk told Martin Luther King, we need to stay out of this. We got the Lord's business to do. <laughs> but a Samaritan, a heathen, he don't even have the right theology. Sunday, he probably worship on Thursday. And as far as we know about them, they had all kind of crazy practices. Had idols. He probably had idols in his house. His children, they all bowed down to idols. But the folk with the right doctrine and all the truth passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him. And see, this is when you, where you know your walk is with God. When you're confronted with a challenge. What comes out of you? What came out of him is pity. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil. So he had to touch old boy. You know why those other guys didn't touch him? Because a priest couldn't get ceremonially unclean by touching somebody with blood on him. It's foolish. This brother said, I don't care about getting unclean. This man needs help. Most scholars suggest that the man that was down, that had been beaten by robbers, was more than likely a Levite. He traveled, that's the highway that the preachers went. His own people didn't help him. The next day, he took out some of his money, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, look after him. He said, and when I return, uh-oh. So he not just giving him the handout. He said, I'm going to come back and check on him. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? To the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. You get it. Here's my appeal. You were laying there. You were laying there. The enemy robbed you of your sanity, robbed you of your righteousness, robbed you of your, of your love for God, and you were laying there and people walked by you. Family members walked by. Church members walked by. Preachers forgot about you. But God came down 
his sleeves. Put his hands in your filthy wounds. Cleaned you up. Thank you, Jesus. Cleaned you of your filth. Put himself at risk. Put himself in harm's way. He washed you and purged you and ministered to you. Then he picked you up and carried you. And he put you in the church. And he left you in the church and he told the folk that when I come back, I'll give you back what you need. But, 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 but you got to know today, brothers and sisters, that God was merciful to you. I need you to play right now. Just think back for a minute of where you were when he found you. Think back for a minute of what you were doing and what you were saying and how you constantly have failed your Lord and, and in spite of your wretchedness and in spite of your unrighteousness and in spite of the filth that you had put yourself in, the Bible says that he came from heaven and he got in your mess. He got in your shoes. He didn't just do it for the crackhead. He didn't just do it for the wino. He didn't just do it for the molester. He didn't just do it for the adulterer. But he did it for you. And you are the molester. You are the adulterer. You are the liar. You are the thief. You are the manipulator.